Blog Talk Radio. Reason is our weapon of choice. Skeptics know that you do have a voice. Science is not so we'll be defiant as what we know, so it's best to apply it. Feed you information, deposit the knowledge, so you know ignorance is not an option. Welcome to the RSS feed with your host, Raylan Rose. Skeptical superwoman, but in plain clothes. She ain't no Jane Doe, nor is she a day old. So the cobalt arguments weakly molded like Plato. Kicking false info like Kato, but it should be your J-O. You expand your mind like a transit line. Nothing is ever true, cause you think so. It's evident that you never win. Cause the evidence you present is irrelevant in the present sense. It's reckless and negligent. You never ask questions or the things ignorance is good to relish it. So we spark the faith, cause you know the truth is hard to take, especially with so many falsehoods in these modern days. Oh, reality, we start to face. Shout out to the skeptics. My freak thinking to live a cow. Massage that fire. He's seeking an aim that you shoot to win the Lex. You weak creatures. Christian scientists to debate evolution. Elitists in the government that hate the revolution. Armchair activists who overstate their contribution to the movement. Because they say they have solutions. So it's best to listen. To understand skepticism is the religion. And so we get a better vision of how the world works in. What we call marvelous to make a better future. You know that it starts with us. Progressive thoughts. Progressive talks. The sharing of ideas. The medicine we need. Another source of the RSSC. Say what? Another source of the RSSC. Hey guys, it's Marina, um, and I'm back with another uh, episode of the RSSC. Today's subject is what is ratchet? Um, you know, obviously the word has been around for a while now. People have been using it to describe, um, you know, people. And um, it, it's a term that's bothered me um, for a very long time, and I've been wanting to talk about it. So decided to do a show devoted to the term. Um, I have my friend Marcus on the line. Hey, Marcus, you're live. Uh, what's going on, Ray? <laughs> Not too much. Um, it's kind of weird you know, hearing you call, use my real name on air. That was kind of strange. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Would you rather me go back to, to saying Brooks? I'm sorry. No, no, you can call me oh. that. It was, just, it was just strange to hear. Okay. You know, no one calls me by my real name anymore. <laughs> Hold on one second. Um, Alfred into the line. Hello, Alfred. You're live. Uh, I just wanted to listen for now, but yeah, that's cool. <laughs> okay, well, if if you'd like me to put you back um, on mute, I can do that. No, I'm just gonna mute my own mic and uh, I'll I'll chime in uh, when I'm ready. Okay, no problem. Okay, so um, <laughs> so yeah, so for those of you that um missed the goings on uh, this past week. Um, we did a show uh, recently where we talked about, um, you know, Uncle Tom and um, all of these sort of racial epithets that have been used uh, to characterize black people. Um, reason being is that there was recently a video um, that was put out by a very popular YouTuber where he referred to black Christians as Uncle Tom's, and some of us felt some kind of way about it. Um, and it was primarily Hello. because... Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Miss Tilman. Hello. Okay. Um, 
I think that was Marcus's line, so I just had to meet him really quickly. Um, but um, <laughs> there, um, we were talking about it because of a um, very popular YouTuber um, had uh, called Black Christians Uncle Tom's, and um, his critique was very ahistorical and had um, more than a few um, sort of incorrect things um, in it. I wrote a blog on it on my um, on my site, on my WordPress, uh, Rose to Reality. You can go over there and check it out. Uh, Sakibu Hutchinson also wrote a very, um, a very, very good analysis of um, the video um, called um, Creepy Crackers and Shucking Toms. What a name. Uh, but it is a very good um, analysis and review of the relevant information. Um, you know, concerning this recent incident. Let's see if Marcus is ready to come back on the line. Yes, Hi. I am. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. No, it's all good. Um, I'd like to introduce <laughs> evidence number 476 as to why I need to live on my own. Anyway, oh, carry on. <laughs> okay, well, um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you guys should check out, check out that show. Um, we had a really, really good discussion Um some really interesting information was given out. Um, Annalise um, was on that night. Dr. Ponce was talking about, you know, sort of the um, historical, um, you know, context around black Christianity and, you know, not just black Christianity, but Christianity itself. Um, so it's a really good discussion to kind of, you know, listen to, um, if only to get sort of an idea of what, um, you know, black religiosity in the black community looks like and, and what it's been traditionally sort of used for. Um, then Rita had a show this week with Graydon Square, Seagat, Adequate, and am I forgetting someone else, Marcus? Yeah, um, I, I, um, uh, Marissa, Marissa from Marissa. Grand Unified. Okay, and Marissa from Grand Unified. Um, and they, they had an interesting discussion um, concerning you know, some you know, the state of hip-hop. Um, and then um, Marcus and Alfred um, yesterday had a very interesting conversation about logical fallacies and, um, <laughs> and sixth-grade grammar. And um, <laughs> it was a very interesting conversation. Had um, had some had a character call in that night. That was a little weird. But, um, Not just any yeah. character. Yeah, he's an interesting person. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so you should probably give that a, a listen. And then tomorrow, Mario and I are going to do a show, um, you know, sort of regarding, like, where we see, you know, society headed. Are we going forwards? Are we going backwards? You know, what do you think? You know, so, I mean, that's that's a really, you know, I know it's a really open question, but I guess we're just trying to get a feeling for where people are coming from, so. Um, should be an interesting show. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you guys tune in. Um, but let's get into the topic, topic for today. Um, so just to begin with, um, you know, there's a couple of different uh, definitions for the term uh, ratchet. And, um, you know, for the longest time, I didn't understand why, why people were using it to describe people because a ratchet, you know, like, you know, is a tool. You know, much right. like when I was a child, I didn't understand why people would refer to a woman as a garden tool. 
until I got older, you know. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite, you know, um, artists growing up was uh, Tony Tony Tony. Okay, Marcus, I'm gonna have to mute you. I'm sorry. So. Um, in any case, um, I don't know whose phone that is. Let me see. Okay. All right, I think it's better now. But um, in any case, um, you know, one of my favorite artists growing up was um, Tony, Tony, Tony. And they have a song, obviously, called um, My Ex-Girlfriend is a Ho. Um, and I used to love that song, but I didn't know what they were really singing about until I got older. But anyway, um, you know, much, uh, much like Ho, Ratchet is a gender, uh, genderized term. And it's mostly directed at, you know, black women. And um, it, it, it means wretched um, or crazy or nasty, according to the various online um, urban and slang dictionaries. Um, and uh, the origin of the term is, um, you know, came about um, through her, rapper Hurricane Chris when he released um, his album called uh, 5150, Ratchet. And... Um, for Hurricane Chris, though, it meant kind of, you know, um, you know, partying hard, being excited, you know, turning up, you know, like um, a lot of people say today, or, you know, being turned up. And, um, you know, so it, it, you know, it's sort of now morphed into this uh, sort of derogatory term to use in reference to women. Um, let's see if I bring back Marcus. Okay. Marcus and Alfred, your mics are live. I know um, Alfred probably still has himself muted, but I just want to yeah, let I you know. Yeah, I self muted also, just in case. Okay. Okay, and um, I think we have another caller. Let's see who this is. Hello, caller, you're live. 407? Okay, maybe 407 is not ready yet. Okay, um, I'm going to go ahead and put you back on hold, 407, okay? Um, anyway, um, so um, is that pretty much where you just understand the word ratchet to come from, Marcus? Because I know you're into hip-hop, so if anyone would know, it would be you. Um, I, I would say so. I don't, I don't really remember that term coming up, coming up at all prior to that. And I don't listen to Hurricane Chris, so you actually just informed <laughs> me because I wasn't really sure where the term um originated but um it, it is it is a fairly recent i know i know it is fairly recent you know it's only really been around the last couple of years and it's really gained popularity especially over maybe the last two to three years as far as you know it being used more commonly well, yeah the, the term ratchet comes from ratchet city shreveport louisiana where where hurricane chris is from and I've heard the term ratchet for years because it describes the type of people in that area. And each little city has its, and, and Louisiana has its own kind of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, moniker, whether it be a pejorative or not. It's, it's some, it's a colloquialism regardless of what it describes, but it is just a, a way to describe the people from that area. So, uh, obviously you see the people from that area are actually goddamn fools. So they're going to, it's going to turn into a pejorative and it catches, it catches on like so. So a lot of people don't know that's actually where it's from, but, uh, right. I think the dictionary actually, somebody went on urban dictionary was like, Hey, 
this is where this actually came from, and Hurricane Chris was from that area, so that's where he got the term from. Okay, well, I will submit to you that everybody acts a goddamn fool sometimes. And that's part of one of my, and that's part of my, um, my dislike for the term and the way that it's used. Um, you know, so, um, you know, and, and it's also used sort of to describe, um, you know, aside from, you know, being wretched and being used to describe, you know, people as um, being turned up or whatever. It's used mainly against women, saying that they're unintelligent, that they're loud, they have no class, they're tacky, they're hypersexual, and all of these other types of things. Um, right. And, you know, there was a um, actually a song that was put out by a YouTuber, um, or a couple of YouTubers, uh, called the Ratchet Girl at Anthem in 2012. And it was so popular, it gained like 37 million views. And it was actually repackaged as a BET video, uh, wow. which is which is pretty disturbing. Um, I don't watch BET, so I wasn't even aware of that part actually. Um, but um, you know, but really, if you think about the sort of the sort of um, ways that it's used to describe women, it actually fits a lot of the um, sort of um, you know stereotypes that have been used against black women in the past, like Mammy, Sapphire, Jezebel, Welfare Queen, you know, um, you know, to, to describe black women, um, particularly Sapphire, Jezebel, and Welfare Queen, not so much the Mammy part. But, um, you know, it's, it's about policing black women and policing their bodies and policing their behavior. And it's, it's something that, um, that I, as a black feminist, and, and you know, growing in my in my feminism, has come to detest. You know, I I don't want to describe people as ratchet. I don't want to describe people as ghetto. Um, the ghetto is a place. You know, the and, uh, being urban is not is not a a thing. You live in an urban environment, and even though being in an urban environment and living in the ghetto might generate these um, sorts of these sorts of mechanisms for coping with um, with being sort of viewed in a particular way and having this sort of perverted sense of being authentic you know um, you know there are other ways to pervert the sense of being authentic and you know in, in a sense really what people think of as being authentically American or authentically um, authentically sort of middle class or whatever or being respectable is somewhat is perverted in its of itself. So I think maybe that's the first thing the first place that we have to start is, you know, ratchet in comparison to what? You know? What is this woman supposed to be? Is you know, is um, you know, we're talking about say being hypersexual. What constitutes being hypersexual? Is it not being not being married to a man and being sexual? Is it being? Is it choosing to use your sexuality whenever you want? You know, is it having sex with more than one person at a time, or you know, I mean, what is it? You know, it's, it it seems like it's a term that you know you can use against anyone for almost any reason, and I I don't like it. I, I think that we should be trying to get away from these sorts of terms. I don't know. What do you guys think? Right. 
Well, you're well. You're right. It, it, it sounds like a term that can be used against anyone at any time, but more often than actually more, it's only used to, in regards to women of color and specific, more specifically, black women. Mm-hmm. It's only the, the yeah. term ratchet nine out of ten times is only really associated with black women and behavior that dominant society and has dictated to be unfit or you know going against what the they what uh, society says they want to stand for. But you know, in I, I guess um, in recent in recent years, like the definition of ratchet is kind of really kind of expanded and 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 i think that what's the word i'm looking for i think more um alfred you can go ahead and um you can go ahead and say your piece i need to i need to figure out what i'm trying to say just now i don't have the words for it just yet okay i I was just kind of listening on i was uh actually replying to a status that uh Wow, this, this, this meme must have been posted about uh, anyway. I'll get off track. Um, what really it really bothers me about the ratchet thing and kind of cute and say, oh, you know, look at look at this person, look at that person, ratchet. And of course, a lot of them are black women, and and it, it just amazes me to know in how often black folks also they just they hop on this bandwagon too. And I caught myself doing too at the beginning, and now it's like it's getting to the point where it's like, are there no suitable black women in the world? Are they, are they all just going to be characterized this? Because I don't see, well, here's anti-racist. Here's a successful black woman. You don't see that. You don't see any kind of positive view of a black woman other than a breeder and a sex toy. Um, and that that's, that bothers me because I, I may one day have a, a, a girl and for all intents and purposes, I think she'll be black. I mean, my, my wife is, 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 is a Native American. <laughs> I, I guess that's how it works, you know. You know, yeah. this logic here. She might be a, a penguin. So this this friend reminds me of a video, and I think I saved it on YouTube, where it's a uh, it's a guy from uh, I think it's Amer- American Linguish Linguist Association, and he described certain habits and certain social means that we'll carry that are actually dehumanizing because we and the society deem them as so. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. But somebody somewhere decided, hey, this is this is this looks crazy. This this looks outside the norm, so we're just gonna label it as such. And what he implied is that that's an actual way to just dehumanize a person indirectly. Uh a good example of this is a bias. There's nowhere written that there is such thing as a sub language. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm diverting a little bit so I can make a good analogy. Um, and then I think you ask the crowd what what defines a sub language, and you could see a pin drop or a mouth kiss on a quarter. And he had to tell them like, hey, American uh, Linguist Association does not define what a sub-language is or a, a subset of the dialect. There is no sub-language. There is no such thing. There's, there's no uh, qualifiers for a sub-language. That is something human society deems as such. 
to actually dehumanize the people doing it and not the language itself. So it's, mm. uh, so it's a little, it's a subtle mind fuck for those who, excuse my language, but for, for those who participate in it, because as you're doing this, as you're perpetuating this idea, you're actually dehumanizing the people that are participating in this. And I had, I was kind of taken aback too, because I was wondering, like, you know, you know, y'all talking about this now, you know, man, you know, you see the thing, you know, and, and I was like, well, you know, I you went through 12 years of, uh, of free education, you know, how can, you know, you're, you're still speaking as though you don't have any type of education, but in reality, it's just a different syntax upon a gigantic lexicon. Who says that only this portion of the lexicon is suitable when we have an entire, uh, uh, one of the most expansive lexicons of almost any language? So when we're looking at certain things as, as, as ratchet, when, okay, there are going to be certain things acceptable and not acceptable in society, granted. So why are only this certain demographic of people associated with this? Who decided that? This was a definition of this, and only these people are going to be associated with it generally. So that's just that's dominant white culture. I mean, they've always done that, though. It's always unfit until until the dominant culture decides that they can appropriate it, and then it becomes acceptable. I.e., what's happening recently with the phenomenon is known as uh, twerking. You know, for years, for years, black women were black women in hip hop were completely demonized. You know, for Perpetuate for perpetuating, you know, these these stereotypes and, you know, having half naked women and and scantily clad clothing, you know, gyrating and, and whatnot in videos and, and and in concerts, and yet now now that you know uh, Miley Cyrus, who you know uh, grew up on Disney channels, the daughter of a of a of an American le- um, a musical legend or you know pop singer. And whatnot. Now that you know she's become enamored with it, and, and she's starting to to really get into it, all of a sudden, you know, it's acceptable. You have folks, you know, folks that are that are dedicating TV time slots to talk about this quote new phenomenon that's coming that's coming in. When the reality right. is, it's been going on for years, but the but yeah. they don't know that because they right. associate it with these folks that they dehumanize by calling ratchet. You know, treating them, yeah. treating them as if what they're doing is only something done by people who are subhuman, who aren't capable or who aren't on the same level as us. Therefore, we have to separate them from us because dominant culture dictates or has dictated that, you know, if you participate in these in, in these activities or if you have these behaviors, if you do this, then you are this. You are lesser than what I am. And it's only when right. they decide, like I said, it's only when they decide to appropriate it that they're like, okay, now that we've appropriated it, it's acceptable, it's cool, acceptable. it's fine. It's not yeah. ratchet anymore now. Right. And it's um, and it's like, um, even if, like, you watch, like, the, the Miley Cyrus video, which, unfortunately, I have. I mean, she may, she brings in black people for the sole purpose of making her twerking seem legitimate. And then the rest of the video, they disappear. They're completely invisible. So you can see what she's doing. She's, she's using black bodies to legitimize her, you know, in that, in, in, in twerking. And when she's done that, she doesn't need them anymore. They disappear Bingo. completely. 
Bingo. Um, it kind of it kind of reminds me of um, when Gwen Stefani went solo and she had the Harajuku girls with her, and they were only with her for the sole purpose of like appearing in her background. Whenever there were solo shots of her singing and and all that, like it would just be her. But whenever she wanted to be the center of attention or be like, yeah, I've got the crew with me, that's when they were there. Yeah. Or um or like when she, uh, or or even her song used to do with Akon, you know what I mean? Like she she was she was trying to blend or bring herself into, you know, sort of a hip hop sort of space, you know what I mean? By bringing him into it, you know, and then like right. you hardly ever see him in her video. And then there's um you know there's other songs that she did where she clearly she took um she took the Isley Brothers song and sampled it. For for her um, for her song, I think it's luxury or something, luxurious life or something. I don't know what it is, but I, know, case, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you know, my point my point though also is is that um, you know when you have these sort of dichotomies set up, it leaves very little room for the human being. You know what I mean? Because we're very like if someone were to follow you with a camera every day, all day. They're going to catch some, some nice things, and they're going to catch some not-so-nice things. You know what I mean? Right. Sometimes, sometimes we have moments where we're not so respectable, you know, where we, we're not doing what, quote-unquote, everyone else would like to see us doing, you know? Right. And, um, and, and, and I mean, that's just, that's just what you call being human, you know? And so it really, you know, when we we put people into these boxes, it dehumanizes them the same way that it dehumanizes people in the ghetto. It says that these people have no other, you know, um, no other sort of possibilities for their lives. They don't have any value, you know, other 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 than making us laugh or other than making us more legitimate because we have now something to compare ourselves to, something to prop ourselves up on, you know? It doesn't, um, yeah, and it, and it doesn't allow it doesn't allow people, you know, to one be themselves without being shamed for it, and two, it doesn't allow people to really showcase our diversity. You know, all of us don't act alike. All of us don't have the same interests. We don't dress alike. We don't have the same beliefs. We don't have the same views. We're not, we're all got we're all not going to look at everything and and think about things the same way. But right. when you when you force when you force people to um, or when you when you give people this label, you're basically othering them. You know, right. you don't allow them to be to be. You know, you're not saying, okay, we're gonna. You know, you can be you and I can be me, and we're both human and that's okay. Instead, it's I'm human, and I and I'm accept I'm an acceptable human. You are an other because of this. Right. Exactly. Because you don't and fit so this criteria. Right, and so it makes it easier to use violence against those people and to, you know, to dismiss those people, to um, deny those people access to the resources and the things that they need, you know. Um, You know, this idea of the welfare queen is what has, um, you know, is what gets brought up every time that Republicans want to reduce reduce social, uh, social safety nets. And the yep. fact of the matter is, that, and they just did it with the farm bill. You know, the farm bill uh, has cut uh, effectively, um, you know, the food stamp program, the SNAP program. 
And and why has it done that? Because there's this idea that they can promote in society that there are people who are sponging off of the system, not people who've been damaged by the system, not people who were screwed over in the last financial crisis, but people who are actively engaged in, in trying to gain the system. But meanwhile, the people who've actually gained the system, they're not punished. They're not jailed. They're not demonized. It's just these people who need to eat that we're demonizing. And these people who need to, and we're snatching food literally from their mouths. I mean, the SNAP program is actually the, the most effective government agency there is. It actually does its job. It does the job that it says it's set out to do. It feeds people. It's, right. never, it's never gone over budget. And it never will go over budget because they do what they're supposed to do in the SNAP office, you know? Yep. So, um, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, that more people will suffer, you know? And it's not just, you know, lower class, quote, unquote, ghetto people. It's people who, uh, who slid into, the, into, you know, from, from being, quote, unquote, middle class into being lower class just because yep. of the economy, because now there are fewer living wage jobs, and um, you know, and you know, the government is, has been you know, loath to raise the minimum wage, and um, and and loath to provide um, the other resources that would make at least um, you know the situation more bearable for those right. of us who, for those of us who are in the lower classes. I mean. DC did right. a very progressive thing just recently, raising its um, its its minimum wage in the district to twelve. Well, was it twelve twenty five? Yeah. No. Well, no, no. What that was, it's well, it's eight twenty five in DC. What it, what, what mm-hmm. DC wanted to do was for retailers, like you know, for big retailers like Walmart and some of the other places that are trying to uh, that are here and they're trying to build stores here. Basically, what they're, what, they're, what they're saying is if you want to build your stores here, you have to pay your workers a living wage. So you can't just pay them the 825 that we have here. You're going to have to pay them 1250 gotcha. And that's why Walmart okay. wanted because to back they, out. Yeah, because, they, yeah, because they, pull, they put the mom-and-pop stores out of business. The mom-and-pop can't pay the 1225 but they can pay the 825 right. Because right. that's what they can afford. Okay, I okay, I get it now. I'm sorry. I I had read that article so long ago. I had you know, I no, it's, it's all it's all good. I mean, the kind of interesting thing is actually a lot of folks here aren't really that big on having Walmart come here. That's that's more so the council that wants Walmart to come here. A lot of the locals are really like you know myself and most of the folks that I know and grew up with around here. We like the mom and pop stores. You know, we can find some really great stuff of great quality that doesn't cost as much as it does at, you know, a big retail place. However, right. however, you know, Walmart's going to put a lot of these places out of business, and a lot of these folks are going to basically get pushed out and have nowhere else to go. Okay, I'm going to see if our uh, if our caller is ready to come back in the conversation. Let's see. Um, oh, four seven. seven. That's William. Okay, four oh seven you're are you oh William? That's William. Okay, well yeah. all right, William, no let me let me I think he's just I think he's just listening. I don't think he's he's okay. trying to participate. Okay, no problem. He mentioned well, William, something like that in the chat. Okay, if he does want to participate, you know, just just say something in the chat room. Anyway, um 
I apologize. I'm well, used to, I'm new to uh, engineering guys, so I apologize. <laughs> so it's, all, it's all good. Just, uh, well, just so you know, people only want to come on when they have that like blue dot next to their name. Okay, gotcha. I didn't yeah. realize that. Cool. But All right. You brought up a you you did bring up a, a good point though a couple uh, a couple minutes ago, um, in that you um, you said that when once you other people you know it makes it easier for violence against them or you know for for, for to to make um, you know policies and whatnot that affect them legitimate you know that just the first thing I thought of as soon as you said that was. When um, the blog you wrote on the um, the Cleveland bus driver incident, and how right. lots of folks, you know, legitimized it and said that it was okay because she was acting ratchet on the bus and and all of that, right. or the woman down the mother down in Atlanta who got tased because she was acting like a ghetto hood rat slash she was acting like a ratchet bitch. Excuse my French. Yeah, um, and, and, and and that's why that's why she got what she deserved. Like a- and in my opinion, after watching that video, she was acting like a pr- protective mother, if anything. Um, yeah. And it just so happened that this protective mother was in a black body and, you know, came from a particular place and and um, expressed herself in a particular way. And so instead of being recognized as the mother that she is, she was misrecognized as someone who was deserving of violence, even even though she did hit the officer at one point, the officer, he kept coming back to her. You know what I mean? Like he was not going to be talked to that way. You know what I mean? By someone of her, like her, you know what I mean? There was something about her that kept making him engage her. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to talk to me like that. I'm a man. Don't you know that you're beneath me? You know? Listen, that's exactly that's exactly how he came off. Like, how dare you, a woman in, in who is obviously ratchet? I'm paraphrasing yeah. here. Like, how is someone like you gonna talk to me? I'm a I'm a man. I'm a police officer. I am the authority here. Who are you? Who are you to challenge me and to talk to me in the way that I don't see that I don't think is correct? Right. Right. And it's and it's the same thing that we think about, you know, in the situation with Oscar Grant. Like, um, I haven't seen Fruitvale Station yet, but I'm looking forward to going to the movies and supporting this movie. I hope that you guys will support it as well. Um, what I like um, so far that I've seen of the movie is that it humanizes Oscar Grant in a very real way. It doesn't make him into this blameless, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, hero. You know what I mean? Who never did anything wrong, you know, only ever has done good in his life. It shows that he, you know, he's had some problems. You know what I mean? But he's also a loving father, and he's also a, a loving son, you know, and he wasn't doing anything to justify his his being killed. You know, he, right. he was, you know, and, and it's like um, there's a scene that I've seen um, shown on television where, um, he's been pulled off of the train, and they pull another man off of the train. I believe it was a friend of, of his, and they slam him on the ground. And the men, um, they stand up, and the officer's telling them, you better sit down. And, you know, as I understand, in a sense, the need to keep order. But at the same time, there has to be some balance between keeping order and allowing someone the human emotion of feeling concerned 
at seeing someone thrown to the ground. Right. You know what I mean? There has to be some kind of balance between the two. And somewhere, and somewhere, um, you know, that balance was not considered or, or given any thought or, you know, by police, you know, um, and this one police officer who claimed that he was trying to pull out his taser and instead fired his weapon. You know, it's, it's right. that type of thing, and, and we know that, and we know that you know these sort of automatic or implicit reactions, um, you know, are are buttressed by these sorts of beliefs about people and and, and their value. You know, um, you know, people are, are you know, and they were talking about this almost Harris Perry. God bless her. I love her. I say God bless her, but you know, I don't believe in God, but I love <laughs> Melissa Harris Perry, and I love her program. Um, and I love that she was talking about the fact of uh, the implicit bias test because this is true. College students and police officers are more likely to shoot a man, a black man with a wallet, than they are to shoot a white man with a gun. Yep. Now, why is that? Because of these stereotypes that are prevalent in our culture that say that black people are closer to being animals, that they're more prone to violence. That they're more that they're more sexually immoral, that they have that they're unintelligent, that they um, you know all of these things you know right. combined, and and so this brings me to back to talking about ratchet being a racialized and, gen, and genderized term you know for black women because um, you know we've talked about it before on other shows about how um, the this this these politics of respectability have come about in the black community. And it's mainly been a reaction to white supremacy and its stereotypes and its, um, its, its views on black bodies. And so black women have been traditionally focused upon um, in particular because somehow there's this notion, uh, because, because white femininity was the standard in, in white supremacy, you know, there's the standard of white femininity that had to be protected by by moral upstanding white men, you know, and kept yep. away from these savage black brutes. Well, one of the reasons that these savage black brutes were thought to be so hypersexual is because their women were supposed to be hypersexual and loose and, and, and sexually available. And, and, and that was one of the reasons in the stereotypes uh, is, is one of the reasons behind why for a very long time in this country, you could not rape a black woman. You couldn't rape her in the, in the minds of people. You know, it, it wasn't rape because she was already, her body already suggested that she was sexually available. Yeah. That she was, that she was a sexual, that she was sexually experienced even, you know? Um, and so um, it wasn't until much later, you know, and, and Ida B. Wells talked about, you know, the use of rape and you know, and, and lynching and and um, and to enforce these um, racial order in the South. So you can read Ida B. Wells who talks about this. Um, you know, because there was also a stereotype for a while that black men were the, the central focus of violence in uh, the Jim Crow era, and that is not true. Black women were routinely raped, and not only were they routinely raped as a part of you know lynching and and, and lynch violence, but they were raped as domestic servants. And, and, you know, and you can read about that as well. I can give, provide you with some sources and links if you like. Um, but, 
you know, there's, there's, there's another part to this, and this is really interesting because I know, I know you've probably read about these things, Marcus, and, um, and I'm sort of tying a couple of different things together right here, but I know you've heard about the, the Native American schools. And, um, and the various sorts of attempts to reform Native Americans and black people and, and other races of people so that they would be more acceptable. Yeah. Remember? So um, there were attempts at this by white people who were particularly concerned about black people moving to the industrial north during the Great Migration. And there were some, there were some writings um, in particular that said that because these women who were coming from the South were um, maybe somewhat naive, they were somewhat preyed upon, but at the same time, they were also sort of somewhat suggesting that these women were, um, were lazy and that they didn't want to engage in, quote, unquote, clean work, um, you know, clean work being, um, being secretaries, nurses, teachers, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, industrial centers in the North they, they, uh, the government um, and, and, and the economic system was structured in such a way that kept black women from getting those jobs, actively from getting those jobs. Um, there are numerous sort of uh, autobiographies and native, uh, narratives that are out there that talk about black women who were even, you know, degrees that had nursing degrees that were told that they could not be nurses even with their nursing degree, because they would not allow black nurses. Because there was somehow this idea that black nurse, if you let black nurses in, they were probably going to prostitute themselves or do something else that would, would bring uh, shame or um, scrutiny onto an organization or into an office. Isn't that like right. a fancy of a lot of guys? <laughs> I'm sorry? Isn't that whole? I mean, I'm just I'm just picking at that one thing. But isn't the idea of a, a sexy nurse doing something to you? Isn't that a, a fantasy of a lot of folks? Is not like a fetish? Uh, it is a it is a fetish actually. Um, that some people have. I just, yeah, I just thought that would be interesting that they you know that they perpetuate the idea oh, while you know, it's a fetish. You know what? You know what, Alfred? But they I they, don't, they only want it from their women. They don't want they. It wouldn't it wouldn't be it, it would be negative. I mean, it's negative in general, but that that fantasy only comes from, like Raina said, the white femininity, um, or uh, yeah, white femininity, and and the nurses wanting to be caretakers and and all of that. They don't they don't really associate that kind of stuff with black women. Just that black women are always sexually available. Yeah, and, and I mean, and not just only that, but there's also there, um, especially if these women were single. So you could be a black nurse in some context, but you needed to be married. Like you had to be legitimized in some sense in order to, to practice. But there were black female nurses who would be single who would come to these industrial centers, and they wouldn't be able to get jobs in the north. They would have to work as domestics and, and take whatever nursing jobs were, were given, you know, as they came, you know? So it, yeah. was, it was it was very difficult, and so black women and, and black men, of course, were were sort of rigorously kept out of a lot of professions in the north, and um, and so there were these there were these uh, organizations that would put out these pamphlets about these women who were just um, you know they were uh, they were abandoned they would they would basically act like they were abandoned by black men, whether or not they had husbands, whether or not they had significant others. 
or whatever. They would basically act like these women needed to be protected and they had to be kept somewhere and um, they had to be monitored because of their sexuality. And so there, that comes in with a lot of sort of beliefs about black men and their upward mobility and, and sort of middle-class black politics at that time during the Harlem Renaissance, looking at, you know, this idea that if you were a black man and you wanted to, you know, kind of climb the ladder, you had to have the right kind of woman, you know? So if your woman wasn't, you know, high, high, had, a, had a good education and she worked as a domestic or, or she didn't, and she, and if she didn't have a good education and she worked as a domestic or in some other capacity, she was not the right kind of woman. She needed to be a churchgoer. She needed to be some kind of professional woman. And she had to, um, you know, have all of these qualities of chastity and, and what have you. And you can see it in some of the Harlem Renaissance writings, like, um, you know, Carl Van Vexen and, um, you know, Claude McKay. And um, even Gertrude Stein wrote a book um, that's um, – Malakta or Malanka, I forget how you pronounce it, but it um it has a it's very racist <laughs> and it talks about it talks about sort of you know Negroes engaging in drinking and all of this behavior for the purposes of excitement and how you know how um, unruly they are you know so you should probably look into that but. The whole point is that of me giving that sort of broad historical overview is to show how black women were sort of focused upon as the group needing the most monitoring, you know, as the group that you had to focus on in order to correct this problem of immorality in the black community. And so yeah. I think that, and, and, and this was all happening in an urban environment. So this idea of policing the bodies, particularly of urban women or ghetto women, has a very, very long history. What do you guys think about that? I, I, it's not surprising, but anytime, of course, I try to bring up something like this to those in a certain privileged uh, demographic, and it's it's really hard to express something like this because they have a certain worldview from a position of white privilege <clears throat> and from this from just from the beginning of me trying to explain what's going on here uh, i have to try and and i guess tailor my message because when any anyone hears white privilege and they automatically assume that well this is i have a silver spoon in my mouth you know i'm one of the one percent that's what it it it, it comes across so it's it has to begin from a position of, well, let me explain what white privilege is. Do you know what the elevator perch clutch is? Do you know what the uh, the parking lot dash is? You know, these affectionate terms we have, especially as black males, for stuff that happens to us on a regular basis. And then my cousin and I will talk about this openly on Facebook. And, of course, we have a lot of white friends, and they have no clue what we're talking about. And so we'll have to give examples of stuff like that just to validate what white privilege is so you know automatically what we're saying is is, is you know looked at kind of uh, uh marginalized or outright denied so we had to then use anecdotal evidence to try and and get that to be acknowledged once that's acknowledged then we get into the historical context of how black people have been treated okay slavery slavery uh is acknowledged 
Jim Crow is somewhat acknowledged, but as you get closer and closer to present day, it's like, well, all you black folks have all these advantages. And I've actually been told, uh, you know, black folks are afforded a lot in our society, and I had to laugh. So I'm like, well, it doesn't matter how how long I spend in the military. It doesn't matter how long my master sergeant I know has stayed in the military for over 20 years. He's been in the military long. I've been alive. He goes back to the south. He's still a nigga. You know, it, it, that we that's we aren't afforded shit in the greater yeah. con, the greater uh, I mean, aspect. I would argue, and I would argue even in the military, without going to the south, he's still a nigger. Because how yeah. many four star generals have there been that are black? Oh, that there's one now that I can think of that is currently I think is General Austin. That's one. You know, and we yeah, still and I think there's maybe been three others, right? Is it maybe three or four others that there have been in history? I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to. Don't quote me on that, but I know. I know that it's. Few, I know it's much fewer than ten. Of course. Oh yeah, yeah. Powell <laughs> was one, and uh, General yeah. Austin's current one. But there's been few and far between. But yeah. even even now, it's like it, it's just getting to the point to is where it's like, well, having this conversation to get stuff like this addressed is so frustrating that it's like yeah. you. In your attempt to deny and marginalize what I'm saying, you're actually you you yourself are an example of that privilege, because right. you, just, you if you could just sit there and say, well, no, this is not happening, so I'm just a liar, I'm I'm just just making this shit up because it's fun, because I want uh, welfare or whatever the hell that you and your friends talk about in your free time, but and to me, it, this is real shit. This is I, I'm. Concerned about the fam- the future of my family, the future of my son, even though our family are has a long history of producing soldiers for this nation, but then our wives are going to be looked at as hypersexual and you know as less than uh, less than standard. And any time that they may seem out of the ordinary, oh well, here comes this label of ghetto. Here comes this label of rats so readily. So where is the the where is the the answer? I want to call it an antithesis of uh of that concept for anything positive. You know, where where is you know uh, can we get a a social meme like a, a Michelle Obama or something like that? It, where where I do you think, see something like that happening? But Michelle Obama doesn't even um doesn't even rescue us. I mean, a lot of black women particularly look up to Michelle Obama because she is such a a, a well-spoken, you know, intelligent, you know, loving, you know, mother and, and you know, and, and just, a, you know, all of these things that we associate, very, you know, with very positively. But, you know, I mean, in a sense, though, we're kind of putting Michelle into a box. You know what I mean? Because Michelle is a public figure and, and, and we want her to, be help, you know, to represent us well. You know what I mean? But if she were to ever do anything that we didn't necessarily agree with 100%, you know, that would somehow tarnish her. And, you know, there there actually have been a lot of, you know, particularly people in the white, uh, you know, media who've done that to Michelle. You know, like, what is this fist bump stuff? You know what I mean? This yeah, oh, fist bump. Or you know she's an angry black woman. Or did yeah, you see the way that she talked to that to that um, to that that person who rudely interrupted her during her during her speech? You know what I mean? That was just inappropriate. Well, what is inappropriate about addressing someone who who interrupted you directly? You know what I mean? 
Like because all of these sorts of things are associated with a particular stereotype, um, the satire stereotype. You know, sort of the angry. Um, it, it's sort of the it's sort of the the more negative, like the more negative end of the spectrum of the strong black woman. You know, we have this idea that black women should be strong and they should take on the, you know, the uh, on the um, the burdens of the race and they should, you know, uh, you know, be self-sacrificing and all of that. But there's the the more negative end of that, which is this idea of angry black women that somehow um, to be an angry black woman is somehow like the lowest thing that you can be, you know what I mean? That, you know, there, that maybe your anger's not, your anger's first of all not justified is what that says to me. Um, and that you're, not, that you're not allowed to be angry and that, um, you know, somehow that that is also associated with somehow, you know, being uncontrollable and unruly and, you know, violent and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we have to, you know, make sure that we're not putting people into a box and saying, oh, you must act in a way that is quote unquote positive at all times, unless you'll, um, uh, you know, so that you don't misrepresent us or that you don't um, get called these other things. Again, the, the idea for me is to expand the idea of what it means to be a human being. You know what I mean? Beyond just being, you know, you know, the, the respectable, you know, because we don't do things that are always good. You know, we, we do things that are sometimes nasty or crazy or, you know, outlandish or unruly. That's just what being a human being is about, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I kind of threw her out there as sort of a, I, got, I guess, a, an idol because I, I've seen her kind of mentioned every so often. But, yeah, as soon as you started uh, speaking about, you know, putting her in a box and, the second that something negative happens, how how that box kind of, you know, gets shattered in a way. And the first thing I thought of was that interaction she had with somebody who was very rude to her, which I would have I would have been much, much worse. But because there was this expectation that reaches far, as far back as you want to go, just like you mentioned, is that it taps into that innate quality for a black woman to be angry for a black woman to be inferior and that, okay now she now she's showing her true self now the, the the real her is coming out it's just a matter of time the second right. she does something negative but where else do you see that society where for anybody of, of of maybe i say jewish descent okay the second he tries to make a a business venture or tries to make some profit okay well he, he's gonna jew it up you know I, that one has been wrong for centuries, but at the same yeah. time, that's something positive. <laughs> even though, even though it's a, a, you know, being a Jew is considered negative, that's still a positive thing. Where else in society? I, I want to see somewhere else where another group of people has been marginalized to the point that anything that they do is automatically assumed to be negative, or they will eventually show that's this that's negative that. quality that yeah. everybody in the world shows. But somehow right. it's it's all innate that we all have this just inherent negative. And I and personally, I, I've told this to my my family members is that the same religion that you're that you're counting on to rescue you is the same one that's putting you in this position. The curse of Cain. If everybody actually looks at how the how this religion has progressed the minds of people in this nation, the way the way that people view you is starting from that point. 
It doesn't make right. sense to marginalize an entire group of people. It doesn't. But when you add an illogical belief system in there that supports that, of course they're going to get to this point. Of course that's where it evolved from. So, well, actually, you know, definitely brought up a good point about religion and, and its sort of and its connection to this. And um and although um hold on one second, I think we have a caller. Hello, caller. Hello, seven seven three. Okay, putting you back on hold. Okay, so um, <laughs> um, the uh, what you were saying about religion is is really interesting because um, I I don't know if you've read Dr. Hutchinson's book um, or either of her books, um, you know, Godless Americana or Moral Combat, but. Um, between the two of them, you kind of get an idea of how religion has played a role in how we how we think about morality and how we think about identity and how we think about these things. And of course, in the United States, because of the fact that Puritans moved here, we have something called the Puritan work ethic. And um, there's this notion that riches, you know, uh, are somehow come about because of goodness. And that um, hard work is associated with goodness and all of these other things. And so um, that, I think, does play in, a lot into how black people are perceived. Because even though we, you know, our ancestors, our black ancestors built this country and built the wealth that a lot of these uh, rich white folks, uh, you know, have, have, you know, been handed down, um, you know, we, even as slaves, were considered to be lazy and unreliable and all of these other kinds of things. And why is that? You know, it's because they're trying to associate it with something lower, with something inferior, you know. And so um, I just think that, you know, we have to, you know, learn how to recognize these things and recognize that we're throwing them onto another group because what, who else does that? Who else is that said about? It's said about people who live in the ghetto. It's said about people who live in urban environments. It's said about people who are black. And it's said about black women in particular. Yeah, and it, it's said that, yeah, I'm, I'm still there. Um, it's said that it has to, to, to come to that, but, and that's, that's the reality of it. And that's the reality that I have to face. That's the reality that my wife has to face. That's something we, we have to, count on when we're seeking employment and of course i mentioned this to some of uh, friends from a different demographic and it says oh well you're just setting up oh, oh no the, 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 this conversation was good i made a, a status about how okay my dynamic for my demographic is different than your demographic it's going to be my shame as a father to tell my son because of who he is he will be hated because of who he is he will not have the same opportunities as other folks in this nation and then the response was well, good luck, you know, teaching your, you're, you're getting a good start on teaching your son uh, the concept of victimhood. And, of course, I'm like, of course. Somebody, and and I had I had to, I was taken back for a second because it's like, and I'll mention this again, my family puts out soldiers. Soldier and victim doesn't go in the same sentence ever. Never will it go right. in the same sentence, period. Absolutely. So, for him to say that, and he knows it. He, and that's the thing. It's, he taps into that white privilege too readily for right. him to deny it. it. It's so easy to do, just so quickly. And I mean, like, I and it's so, it's, 
And it's the same thing. It, but see, this, it, it, it's so sad because even if we're not talking about black people, let's think about the working poor. Let's think about how the working poor is blamed, are, are blamed for their for their own position. Oh, you know what I mean? All the time. And they were, and the working poor work harder, I would submit, than any class of people in this country. Anyone who can work 50, 60, 70 hours a week for, for minimum wage, you know what I mean, who can get up and do that every day is a hardworking person. Well, you know what I mean? We have this... Um... Uh, authoritarian kind of view of it. Now, I'm thinking I want to. I didn't even look this up. I want to say it's authoritarian view is that well, the harder you work, the more money you'll make. It's right. That, that, that really narrow-minded view. It's a mistaken, of, it's a mistaken view. It yeah, is. It's a. It's this. It's that carry. Is that uh, continuation of the Puritan work ethic? This idea that if you work hard, you'll be rewarded with riches. And we have this, and, and it's a part of the American dream that we've been yep. sold. And the American dream is an illusion. It's always been an illusion. It is not, it's, the capitalist system is structured in such a way that there has to be a certain level of poverty. There right. has to be a, a certain level of joblessness in order for it to, to continue. And, right. and what has happened with, these, with, the, with the dismantling of the, um, social safety net and the, um, you know, the, um, the financial crisis is that we have reduced the number of living wage jobs. And so we are essentially, uh, essentially making our, work, our, our, our workforce into indentured slaves because they have, no, they have no option but to get a certain level of education just to make seven, 750 or whatever the national, you know, minimal wage is. You know, yeah. per hour. Seven twenty-five. You know, seven twenty-five. Okay, yeah. so even worse. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, we essentially we, we're essentially in a system that has created that situation now, yep. and we blame the people who weren't quote unquote smart enough. You know what I mean? Or you know, or weren't good enough to you know figure out a way to game the system. You know. Yep. And you didn't you didn't you didn't even mention the mountains of debt that we line up just to get the education just to possibly get you know get a job where we were making you know a bit more than minimum wage. Well, that's that's you know? exactly that's where most of the indentured servitude is coming from. You know yep. what I mean? Is that is yep. that you have to pay back all of these loans at these exorbitant exorbitant rates, but you can't get right. a job without the education. So right. And then, and, the, the, and then the the funny thing is, you find you get out here in the workforce, and you find out in a lot of cases it's not even so much about the degree, but who you know and what you can do. Right. There, there, yeah, there are I folks mean, out so here. There are folks out here working jobs um, that that uh, that have you know, like my my older sister has a master's, and she she works in a shoe store. She's overqualified for uh, for. A lot of a lot of other positions and the stuff that she should be doing is taken are t- taken up by folks who have more de- who either have more degrees or they happen to know someone who got who got them in there. Right, right. So I mean, I, mean, so I hope that I hope that our audience is getting a sense of 
of the problem that we're trying to illustrate here that, you know, we, that when you call, when you're calling someone ratchet, you are, you're taking away their humanity and you're not recognizing all of the numerous factors that give rise to the mentality that you perceive them having, first of all. Right. And to, and, and, and to the, and to their lived experiences. You know what I mean? They're, they've experienced something that you've not experienced. So when you're calling that person ratchet, you might want to check your own privilege. You know, did you have the benefit of of a college education? Did you have the benefit of living in, you know, relative economic security? Did you have the benefit of, you know, maybe traveling the world, seeing some things? Are you literate? A lot of people aren't literate. I mean, think about, let's think about um, uh, Miss John Peel. The young lady who uh, you know was witness you know prior just prior to the the fight that happened between George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, you know she she's a she's of Haitian descent. She speaks three languages, but she can't she can't read cursive. And she has and she and her and her um, her ability to speak quote unquote proper English, you know what I mean, is very limited. You know, right. but. You know, people were making fun of her and insulting her based upon uh, based upon these things. And you know, people called her ratchet. People referred to her as the um, character from the book Push, Precious, yep. um, and all other sorts of horrible and demeaning insults to this young woman who lost her friend, who lost her friend, right after the phone hung up. Like, have a little bit of empathy, a little bit of compassion, you know? Well, they have none. They have yeah. none. And the, the, the sad, I think the sadder part of, of all the folks who were criticizing her, it came from us. There were lots of yeah. black folks who, 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 were, who were leading the charge on a, a lot of the slander that came out against her. You know, on on all the various uh, social networks, from Twitter to, to Facebook, Tumblr, you know, Instagram, etc. Lots of black folks yeah. were leading the charge on that, and I thought that was really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was. Go ahead. I was, I'll say. I was, I'm the first person who heard her testimony and go, okay, obviously English is not her first language. But, of course, people are going to look and say, oh, here goes another, another nigga. Here we go. And that yep. immediately, immediately. But what I saw, what I personally found uh, kind of off-putting was, okay, the, the defense attorney was giving her attitude, but I felt that the prosecution should have trained her a bit better on how to handle that instead of, okay, well, you know, stamping back at him. The fact that she couldn't reach her to the fact that, you know, her English is not all there, that's a, a side note for me personally. But I know that being uh, I think I think also you have to keep in mind though even if the even if the the prosecution had spent more time preparing her and I, and I agree with you they might have been able to do more you know what I mean in terms of, right. of handling the situation I agree there but the fact of the matter is is think about what it must be like to be Rachel Zantio first of all as a black person in this country in general Black people are not very inclined to want to deal with law enforcement 
or this criminal In any way, shape, or form. Because we're usually on the losing end of that. Right. Not as witnesses, not as, you know, not as, you know, defendants, not as, you know, someone on the charging end. We are not likely to want to get involved with the criminal justice system in any capacity. So that's the first thing. And she already had stated that she didn't want to get involved. Okay. So she's already reluctant to get involved. She's lost her friend. She's trying to figure out how to deal with that, how to deal with the fact that she was the very last person he spoke to. Right. You know? So there, there's that. And then you have a very hostile attorney who is, who is at every turn condescending to you. Right. You know what I mean? Openly condescending to, to you. And, and and trying to insult your intelligence and trying to twist what you say. And and yep. and not understanding you, not understanding what you're saying. And and despite the fact that, you know, that we that you know, we understand that she doesn't necessarily speak the best the quote unquote best English, that's what she speaks. That's the situation, like it or not. That's that's where she is. You know what I mean? And and a lot of that has to do with things that are completely out of her control. You know what I mean? So the fact that she stood up, that she sat there on the stand, I applaud her for. Because a lot right. of us couldn't handle that. I'm not sure that I could have I mean, and, and, you know, and, and uh, the other, I think one one thing that also gets lost is, you know, you also have to realize that she is a human being who experiences right. human emotion. It, it's, it's perfectly natural to... to get annoyed or irritated when someone is being openly condescending to you, especially when you, you didn't want to be involved in the first place. And she was up I, there so I, can under, I, I understand. Yeah. I perfectly understand. I mean, being up there for six hours alone, you know what I mean, would make some people testy, I think. Yeah. You know? And then, so, like, I, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I didn't have anything. Oh, yeah, I was just saying. So we have to, we also we also have to check ourselves, you know, because a lot of this stuff is, again, sort of that automatic reaction that we have to things. And when we have those automatic reactions, sometimes we have to take a look at it and say, is this this person, am I, are these projections that, I, that I'm putting out there onto the other person? Or, you know, is this real? You know, and I think right. a lot of times, we'll find that if we really think about it, those are things that we're projecting onto the other individual, you know? And, I mean, they were really trying to shed doubt uh, or cast doubt onto her testimony, which I found to be incredibly sincere. You know what I mean? Um, They tried to to cast doubt on it on the basis that that she doesn't speak, you know, great English or that, you know, she... Um, that she, you know, that she was reluctant to do certain things and that, you know, there were, you know, that she said something to, she said something in court that she didn't say to Crump. Again, when she, and then she pointed out to them, which I thought was brilliant, you know, I thought it was brilliant that she said this. I don't think that she realized how important it was that she said it, that Crump was not law enforcement. <laughs> you know Bingo. what I mean? Yep. She was not law enforcement. She didn't even want to do that interview at the time that she gave the interview. And I and I understand I understand why she wouldn't have wanted to. 
I mean, and part of it might have been the fact that she, she recognized that there were going to be people who were going to pick up on the fact that she is not, that English is not her first language, that there were going to be people who might try to insult her intelligence. Yep. As if folks don't, as if society in and of itself does, wouldn't, doesn't already do that. Exactly. So I think, I think that she's smarter than a lot of these people give her credit for. I think that she anticipated a lot of what she got. I really yep. do. Yep. But you know what? That just to just to expand on that a bit more, you can say that for a lot of these folks that get thrown under the label of ghetto or, or ratchet, you know, folks like to act like because they have these certain attitudes, behaviors, likes, or fashion styles that 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 says something about their intelligence. Right. Like I exactly. I, I distinctly remember someone in in one of the Facebook groups pointing out. Like that, she was that Miss John Teal was ratchet because of the hair that she wore to court, and that it was unacceptable. To which I, you know, I responded, "Well, one, her hair has nothing to do with the case. One, she's not on trial. Two, 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 it's about what she says. That's what the focus should be on. What what information is she providing here?" All right. this extra, all this extra stuff is 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 pretty irrelevant. It is. It's completely irrelevant. No, and it says it's nothing true. about folks' intelligence. You know what I mean? It, it has nothing. How you wear your hair has nothing to do with your intelligence. What you like has nothing has nothing to do with your intelligence. intelligence. That's a that's. Absolutely. I mean, one of the just a, a side point. You know, one of the biggest arguments I hear about uh, you know like Lil Wayne, for example, is. Which is, um, you know, folks like to point out, like he's, you know, he's ghetto, he's ignorant. Only those people listen to it. But then you find out, lots of lots of intelligent folks enjoy him and enjoy music like his. Right. Lots, of, lots of folks I know that are lawyers and yeah, yeah. lawyers. Yeah. Die, yeah, and it's not just black people at that. Yeah. Most of you his know? audience, I admit to you, are college students, white college yeah. students. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, like people, people. The second you other, the second you other somebody, you you know, the people act like that gives you license to go to go in on everything about them, from insulting their intelligence to insulting the way they look, because it's different right. or because it's not how how you or society deems acceptable. You know, it's the same reason that hip hop and 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 a lot of other um you know black art forms and and um academic pursuits have been derided throughout history because they were black. You know, hip-hop was not thought to be a credible cultural phenomena. It was ignored by a lot of people in the media for a very long time until it started to show up in the the suburbs for the most part, you know, because it was black. The, The people who engaged in it, although they're using samples from people like, you know, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the great jazz musicians, um, and I'm, I'm blanking right now. Nat but, you know, King they're, they're Cole, uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, Louis you know, Armstrong. Is, yeah, but I'm, yeah, Louis Armstrong. They're think, you know, um, even, um, you know, um, what is it? I'm thinking of the song. I can hear the song in my head, but I can't say it. But anyway, um, you know, thinking <laughs> about sort of borrowing from these great jazz, you know, performers, these great jazz legends. They know some of these rappers. Who were doing this? You know, they're you know they they're 
they're performing in a sense. You know what I mean? They're they're performing yeah. a lived experience in some cases, but they're also performing. They they're not necessarily speaking at home the way uh, that they speak on the album. I mean, I guarantee you that um, yep. you know Biggie, for example. Because his mother is from the Caribbean, I guarantee you he spoke proper English at home. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guarantee you he spoke. I I guarantee you he spoke the King's English in his mother's house. <laughs> I guarantee you, because I have friends who will tell you this. Okay, <laughs> but it was, it was something completely different. You know what I mean? And that's how it is in a lot of black homes. You you go home, it's yes sir, no sir. You know, proper exactly. English. You get out in the street, it's something else. You can do whatever exactly. you want in the street. But when you come in this house, you speak proper English. You use proper grammar. You know? And that's how it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people have this this assumption that people who are, um, you know, black are not intelligent. And although, you know, you have all of these, you know, rappers who came up that people were saying that about, what are they doing now? They're mobile. Yep. You know? Look, look at Jay Z, you know. Yep, all, he's halfway. All. He's halfway to being a billion. He's halfway to be, being a billionaire. A billionaire less than twenty years after he actually got started. Exactly. And he's almost. A, he's almost a billionaire. You know. And you, then, you, and you have these folks the that went from, you know, from guys yeah. hustling on the street to now they're on Forbes list. Right. Yeah. Like, and think about that. Is not is by no means unique. You know, it's it's by no means unique. I mean, even even if even those individuals that you know we talk about, like who are criminals, for example. Um, you know, I'm not talking about. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that if you're a criminal, you're a genius. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm saying that there have obviously been instances that we've seen that there were criminal geniuses. Um, look at you know, look at Nikki Barnes. You know what I mean? Nikki Barnes was from the ghetto. And Nicky Barnes was a genius. If Nicky Barnes had been born under different circumstances, he could have been a for- in the Fortune 500. Yep. He could have been a Fortune 500 CEO if he was born in another place or under other circumstances. So let's think about, you know, when we talk about degrading other people's humanity or their intelligence or whatever. I mean, I, I think I think Rachel Gontil probably has an amazing intellect if you sat down and talked to her long enough, you will probably find out that how how deep this young woman is. You know? She's 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 saying things that are more profound than maybe even she knows in some instances. You know? But I think that I I I was impressed personally by her testimony. I didn't see anything that made me feel like she was a you know, something that detracted from the prosecution. But, but, um, right. something. but how, what kind of people are surrounding her? Are the people surrounding her telling her that she's stupid? People surrounding her telling her that she's fat? People surrounding her telling her she's stupid? She won't become yeah. anything because of all this negative influences. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You project all this negativity upon someone you think is substandard or, or beneath you. And so what do you think will happen to them? They're just going to all of a sudden uh, just miraculously overcome everything that they've been told for years and then just surprise everyone? Not likely. You have to put a seed into fertile soil with nitrogen and water and sunlight for it to grow. You don't put it in the middle of the desert and expect a miracle to happen. I mean, it's amazing 
me the the gall of certain folks with some of these assertions. Now, granted, I, I, the the I, I can already hear in my head the uh, retort to this. Well, you gotta you're just trying to be nice to everyone, and you gotta be PC this, and you gotta be PC that, and you know you gotta call uh, no pun intended a spade a spade, you know, for a lack of a better term, because I, I, I I'm <laughs> surrounded. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean it's pretty appropriate pun, I guess, but it, it is that same argument that I, I would hear all the time. Well, you have to just trying to be nice to everyone. Sometimes you got to call folks out for what it is. But I'm like, that's a pretty privileged um, scenario that you are uh, you're putting you're putting out there. That well, you in this position can't be uh, bothered with referring to someone in a certain way. That is that is that would upset your worldview. So much that it would physically harm you, because to me that's what it implies. Every time okay. I hear it, I don't know. I don't, I don't even really know what politically correct means. Honestly, I don't think I've actually set up the definition for it. I've just seen it used as a pejorative anytime. What it seems like is that somebody doesn't want to be referred to as a pejorative or referred to negatively. That that's just yeah. from what I've seen. So yeah. I'm like, oh. People who refer to liberals as though the wor- there's nothing worse than being a liberal, you know, there's nothing worse than being a progressive, you know what I mean? <laughs> They're the ones that that come up with that nonsense. It's the same thing as like fem- the, as the term feminazi. Those are the people who use, you know, who use PC as a pejorative. You know, there are people who those are the people who think that being for equal rights for for men and women, you know. Are are the same type of people who would march on Poland. Those are the type of people that you're dealing with when they use PC as a pejorative. But we have a a caller. I have a blue dot. So four one five, you're live. Yeah, Hello, I just had a question. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that this word will be internalized by some of the the youngest at risk women living in low income communities? And if yes, what what kind of implications do you think this can have? Um, I I think it does. I think it, I think it is, I think it's internalized the same way that you know terms like ghetto are are internalized. Um, I think that it it means it makes it it makes one feel like one does not have um, does not have as many possibilities. As, as someone else does, that maybe they're not as intelligent, that they're, um, and and it may and it may just make them into sort of a, put them in a reactionary stance, you know, to where they're ready to um, combat, you know, any um, sort of, uh, you know, any any sort of criticism as sort of being, um, you know, fighting words, you know what I mean? It might it actually might make them, you know, that ready to to go. You know, and I, I, I've seen it before, you know, people, people, it, it lowers your self-esteem when you think that people look at you and see you as less than human or, or, or being less worthy as other individuals. And, and it's something that, um, that actually Melissa Harris-Perry talks about in her book, Sister Citizen, which is on our book list, and we will be doing the book club at some point, but we have to get some scheduling stuff together first, guys. Um but I suggest that you read that book. It's really good. It talks about sort of the politics of recognition, 
because we are social creatures. We want to be recognized and we want to be embraced and we are in a, in a sense, we want to be seen as our whole selves. And when you reduce people to being ratchet or being ghetto or, or being other, you take that away from them. You take away, in a sense, some of their autonomy because you're, you're already saying, well, you're ghetto or you're ratchet, so that means that you're in this box and, you know, these are the, you're not going to be able to do all of these things. You see what I'm saying? So the word, can, is word has an effect of making people feel like this is the only way they could be recognized is if they're, if they're ratchet. Yes, they, it, it has an, it has that effect. I mean, if you tell someone that they're they're worthless, they'll ask over time they come to believe that they're worthless. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, I mean, did you guys have any answer or response to his question, other than what uh, I said? I, I think you nailed it. Okay. And, um, but yeah, so, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so this is just, you know, just to bring up that, you know, this politics of respectability is, it, it, you know, and, and calling people ratchet and ghetto and, you know, all of this sort of thing is, is, is really, it, it really does harm to other people. And it really is more about the individual who uses it. It says more about the individual who uses the term than it says about the person who's, who's being described. It says more about your character when you use that term. So, right. you know, think about, think about what it is that, you know, are you, are you, uh, you know, think about, think about how classist you are. Think about how racist you are. And black people can be racist against other black people. It is true. We can internalize racist views. Black people you know, can from be. The, from the I'm sorry. Black people can be racist. I, I keep I keep getting told that there's this 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 person out there that's uh, propagating this idea that black people can't be racist. I don't know who this is or where it's come from, but I keep hearing it. Okay, well, there's you can be racist as as a black person. There's okay, so there's there's two levels sort of of racism. There's this idea that you are that your race, that you or your race, I guess, rather, is better than another race. But within that, you know, there's also sort of intra-racism, like there's this idea that, you know, because of you're exceptional, that you're somehow better than other races, than, than, other, than the rest of the race. So that's like one side of it. And then the other side is the institutional side of racism. So black people don't have the capacity to inflict harm or discrimination against other groups on the basis of race. So in that sense, they cannot be racist in terms of forming institutions and, and keeping people um, oppressed. But in terms of actually viewing themselves as being better than another group, I mean, everybody is capable of that. And, and but if you ask me which one, which type, which form of racism I'm more concerned about, is it? the idea that there's someone who thinks that they're better than me or the idea that there's someone who can actually limit my potential and um, my access to resources because based on my race, I'm much more concerned about the institutional level than I am the other. 
Okay, thank you for clearing that up. Uh, uh, a friend of mine is actually in queue on the phone. Um, three one five. Is that who it is? Okay, let me um. Three one five. You're live. Um, hi. Um, I'm Mike. Rhea, pleasure to be on. Uh, Alfred, always a pleasure. Um, I just had a few points. Um, I just um started listening about an hour ago. So just a few points. Uh, going back to the case itself. Um, and then I would expand on it and basically just uh, come back to what you were talking about just now. But um, with the case itself, though, there's other ways that she could have been made a witness, not to mention if language was a problem, a sworn testament basically written would have been served just as much purpose. To say that no prep from the defense holds any merits, I mean, it's basically okay, all well, on the defense. I'm going to have to interrupt you. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to put you on mute because um, we're not actually – going to recapitulate everything that's going on with the Trayvon Martin case. So if you would like to get to your point about the show topic, um, I would really appreciate that because there's really only 30 minutes left. So I'm going to bring you back on. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Um, okay. Um, what is Ratchets? Hmm. Um, just the topic you were just talking about, I really haven't caught on to what the topic originally is. If you could actually restate it, it'd be greatly appreciated. Okay, so the idea of, of the, the term ratchet has come to mean wretched or, um, you know, it's a, it's a genderized term that's generally applied to women who are seen as being classless or tacky, ghetto, you know, that sort of thing. So what are your thoughts? Okay, I, I think I get the gist of it now. Um, basically, it. It's a word like any other. Words basically are representations of how they're understood in geographical location and how they are basically perceived by the people that are using the slang at the time. I mean, viewing it in the context, the only way you can actually change how the word is perceived is by not taking offense to it. And basically, by doing that, you don't give it the power in which it actually has as a racist term. Wouldn't you agree? No, actually, I don't, because um, words have power. Words are how we communicate. You cannot take away the power of a word by ignoring it. Um, the only way that you it's take not away ignoring it, that I'm trying to. The word, no, uh, uh, let me finish. You cannot take away the power uh -huh. from ignoring the word or from from not being offended by the word. You take away power from the word by attacking the system the ideology that the word that the word is based in. So if the ideology that the word is based in is is uh, based in, you know, sexism and racism, then you have to dismantle those systems. That's how you take away the power from the word. But by giving it that attention, you give it merit to some degree and or no. no, no. If that's not what gives it that's not what gives it merit. What gives it its merit and in, in terms of a cultural, a social context, is the, are the ideologies that underlie it. If the ideologies are given merit, then the word is given merit. But thank you for your time. I do appreciate your call, taking the time to call in. Hope you call in again. Thank you. So, um, um, so guys, um, have you guys witnessed anyone called ratchet or ghetto, or have you guys um, – Seen it applied a particular. I've seen it applied a lot to these reality shows, particularly starring the different black women. What do you think? I'm sorry. Could you, uh, you say, say, uh, say the question again? 
Okay, so I was going to ask you guys for examples of where you've seen the term ratchet applied. I've seen it applied particularly to some of these reality shows that that are starring, you know, um, black women in particular. So, like, um, like your basketball wives and your real housewives. Yeah, love and hip-hop and all of that. Love and hip-hop. And you know what's so funny to me is when I watch these shows, (laughs) I, I, I don't watch them regularly, but my mother actually watches Real Housewives of New Jersey. And she actually, I think she watches the Orange County one, too. Um, and, you know, from what I've seen of Atlanta, New Jersey, and Orange County, there aren't really that many differences in in terms of how the women behave, in terms of how materialistic they are, in terms of sort of the petty arguments that they get into. There's not really a whole lot of difference there. But I hear the word ratchet applied more towards the shows that have black women in them um, than I've heard applied to the other shows. In fact, I haven't heard that word applied to those shows at all. Very true. And it's like, I mean, I've heard catty applied to all of them. I've heard, you know, some of the, terms that you're familiar with, you know, that are generally applied to women, you know, applied to women on those shows. But I generally don't hear those things said about um, the shows with um, that features black women. Oh, I think Alfred, or not Alfred, uh, William wants to call in now. Hold on. Yeah, my wife actually wanted to, to uh, speak on this for a second. Okay. All right. Um, let's let Alfred's wife speak on it for a second. Hello. Hello, I'm Natasha. Hi, Natasha. How you doing? I'm just trying to figure out what I wanted to say, but um, it's pretty much on the topic of black women in reality shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> what I get kind of annoyed with is how everybody likes to just put all those women in the category of, well, they should be representing us and da-da-da-da-da. And I get annoyed by that because I don't feel like they need to be representing us at all. You know, that's just who they are. And, I mean, I it's – oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say thank you. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Continue. Yeah, and, um, I mean, yeah, it is kind of annoying to see, like, we can't have good role models in these rally shows. Like, people can't – you know, act like they have a little, little bit of common sense and home training, but at the same time, I don't think that we need to have these women, you know, put them in a high pedestal. Like, yeah, they need to be representing us, or then, you know, they need to do better. It's like, no. <laughs> it's just, yeah, no. but see, the other part though that I, that I think bothers me, particularly when they're talking about these shows that that have the black women on them, is that they'll they'll say, oh, these women are poor role models. Well, you know, I mean. You know, not every person is perfect, like we've been talking about on the show. Like, you know, they, they're, you're holding them to an impossible standard to begin with. And if every, and if you were followed with cameras on a daily basis, people would catch you doing things that weren't great. You know what I mean? They weren't so hot. You know. But um, the fact of the matter is, is in some of these cases, some of these women are extremely successful in their own right. You know, some of these women have made businesses for themselves. Some of these women are, you know, successful, you know, in, in, you know, acting or whatever their profession is. I mean, take, you know, Phaedra, for example. Um, yeah. You know, not, you know, I don't 
follow her completely. I don't know, you know, how well-respected she is in, in her field, but I, I gather that she makes quite a decent living at being a lawyer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I, I, I think that that establishes that she's had some level of success, you know? And so, you know, this idea that, you know, that she can't be a role model because she's on this show where she's had these petty arguments. Well, people have petty arguments. You know, yeah. your kid is, your children are going to see you have a petty argument someday. You know what I mean? They're going to see you doing something that you, that you would, that you're going to feel badly about, but they're just going to catch you being human. Cause that's what being human is, you know, but like no one, but I, 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 but no one talks about these, these shows like Jersey and Orange County in the same ways, I think, as they talk about the shows with black women. And I, I agree with your point wholeheartedly that, you know, why do these women have to represent me just because they're black and on TV? You know, right. they represent themselves, you know, but I, I, I do think that, you know, it's um, that we do need some, some different representations just to balance things out. Because I do think that because of the nature of television and, and you know, television production, they do sort of cast these women in a particular light. Now, do they give them plenty of fodder? You know what I mean? For the editing day? Absolutely. But, yep. <laughs> you know, they they also do, you know, do some selective editing. So there are things that we may not see them doing. We may not see the moments where they're mothering their children, where they're being tender, where they're crying and having, you know, expressing themselves in some other sort of way. You know, we may right. only see those moments where they're knocking over tables and fighting and throwing wine yep. in each other's faces. That's, well, you know? I mean, so, that's- yeah. I was gonna say that's well. For one, that's the that's the nature of entertainment. Folks wouldn't be entertained yeah. by folks by folks, you know, being being motherly and 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 doing nice things. They're more entertained by the the drama, I guess I should say. But um, right. I definitely agree that we need a. We, there's, there's definitely a better balance needed. Um, more positive uh, representations of. Um, women of color, I guess I should say, as far as television. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is um, a, my sociology teacher back in college uh, actually um, he told this He told this story once um, where he, like, he's not from here. He's from, I think, Nigeria, I think. He's a professor here. So he says um, one time he went, he went, he went um, overseas. He went to... Um, not Amsterdam, um, some country. I can't think of what it was offhand. And he says, you know, he went to go check into his, ho- you know, he went to go check into his hotel, and you know, everyone, like, as soon as it was like, as soon as he walked in there, everyone started treating him like differently and weird. Like they were scared of him. They were peeking from behind walls. They were like hiding when he would walk by. So he's like, you know, what the what the heck is going on here? Like, why is everyone acting like this? Um, so he talked, um, after talking, you know, this went on for a while. Was, at one point he went up and asked the clerk behind the desk, he's like, you know, what's going on here? Like, why is everyone, why is everyone acting like this? The clerk was like, well, you're from America. You know, most of the, the images that they've seen are of these rappers, these black, these, uh, these black, these, uh, black men who are rappers that have guns and talk about all this killing and stuff in the music. And as soon as they came, they saw you come in. They assumed you were a rapper because of what they saw. 
Exactly. Huh. And I'm actually segue that into my next point. A friend of mine has a wife from Bali, and he said the same exact thing. He has a black friend because he's from New York. So, of course, he, he has a black friend. They grew up in the same neighborhood, you know, pretty rough neighborhood. But because they do get American television and they see BET, that they assume that all black people are violent. They assume all black people have guns, and then she did not trust him. And the second that, you know, something went missing, I think it was, she immediately knows him without any, any type of uh, provocation. But this also is going to bring me to another point that I was going to share with Mike because he's having he's, he's having an issue understanding the intricacies of our culture and how divergent we are and the fact that we're not a monolith. He assumes that all three of us in this call right now actually accept BET as a form of uh, black actual black entertainment that we all endorse. Yeah. I mean, and, but I, I, accept that, I accept that there are black people who are entertained by BET, and I accept that there are probably black people who are informed by BET. I just happen yeah. not to be one of those people who enjoys the programming on BET. I get my programming elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah. I watching it years ago because there's nothing on there that actually represents me. It's nothing. It's, it's entertainment, but it's projected right. as okay. All black people, you big monolith, y'all all like this, and y'all all are are represented by this. No, that is not. The case. I, I watch Hulu. That's ninety percent of the stuff that I watch are anime <laughs> and movies on Hulu. That I, yeah, I, yeah, I like Netflix. Netflix and TBS with my friends. To, uh, <laughs> I, I, and, I'm talking to him on Facebook right now, and I honestly would love to see BET disappear. I would want I want something to take its place, something that's much better than it, because you cannot grow anything on sports ground as far as this goes. They try to make amends and and really uh, do something to the point of repairing the damage they've done over the last ten years, but it's it's too late. You've already put this out, and I've I've seen the effects of this uh, in my own. You know, anecdotal evidence that I'm not going to get into, but it's it's sad. But it's just a, it's such an easy assumption that all black people accept uh, BET as a form of a legitimate programming, or accept it as something that they should strive for, or just accept it at all. I mean, that that's the that's the problem here, and that people who have limited experiences outside their own country, outside their own state, can only defer this images, these these images and what comes from it as their knowledge of black people, that they don't have anything else. And, you know, especially in Asian countries, they don't have, you know, black people, you know, in a can to go to a store and go pick one up and say, hey, how, how's it going? They don't have that luxury. And not everyone has it's a real well, problem. Well, kind of, the problem is kind of twofold, right? So the problem on the one hand is that there is what we as consumers choose to consume. You know what I mean? And then the other problem is 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 Hollywood and the entertainment industry itself. You know, because yep. the entertainment industry likes these these very simplistic, you know, equations, you know, these very simplistic models. You know, they um they know that if they're gonna do a black film, they need to probably start it in the ghetto. They need to have some kind of thug type character. You know what I mean? Some kind of, you know, beautiful, you know, uh, very underdeveloped female character, they, you know, as the love interest and some kind yep. of team. You know what I mean? And that is the, that is the model, you know, that a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, black films have used. It is an overused yep. model. 
And it is a model that a lot of us are tired, frankly, of seeing. It, it, it's, um, yeah. you know, but also have to go out and support films that do not fit the model. So when exactly. we get like, the great debaters, and you know, um, you know, Fruitvale Station, and you know, all of these other types of films, we have to go and support them. But that doesn't take the onus off of Hollywood. Hollywood has got to uh, evolve itself. You know, they have to learn how to write different kinds of characters. I mean, it, it, you know, whenever I think about this, I'm reminded of, um, you know, a Hollywood Shuffle. Um, or even there's even a movie that had um, I'm thinking of the guy's name. He's not Morris Chestnut. Um, who's the guy? Um, That's Hey Dig. Hey Dig was in a movie. Hey was in a movie with um, was it was it Jamie? No, it's not Jamie. Uh, it's the the white comedian. I forget his name. Malibu. That movie. Uh, yes. Talking about Malibu's Most Wanted. Yeah, Mal Malibu's Most Wanted. What I love about that movie <laughs> is that Tayden and and the other I know it's I know it's I know it's trash. The movie is trash. But what I liked <laughs> about that movie is that <laughs> Tay Diggs' character and the other black man whose name escapes me, they have to play thugs. They're they're actors playing thugs in a movie. Right. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So and it, it was it way was funny. So hilarious! It was so that part of it was hilarious to me because it seemed like they were sort of in a roundabout way making a comment about how black men are treated on in films. You know what yep. I mean? Here are two black men who are actors. They can't get jobs in, as anything else. They have to play thugs who kidnap this white guy, this white guy who thinks he's a rapper, you know, and a gangster. And they have to, you know, monitor him. You know what I mean? And they have to stay in character the whole time, which most of the time they completely fail at. But I think it is, I think it is so, it's such a funny representation, and it illustrates part of the problem, is that we get stuck yep. in, these, in these modes in, in our entertainment industry. Right. This, is something, this is something to think about. I hate the movie, too. Don't get me wrong, Marcus. I don't <laughs> like the movie. It's not, it's right. not in my top ten. <laughs> But what I did love about that it was, top was those performances. <laughs> those two performances, though, were really good. I enjoyed them when I, they were on screen, and I fast-forwarded all the rest of the movie. So <laughs> I agree. I think yeah. I, I agree, and the and the carry-on uh, point that you made. Yeah, you know, I, I agree that the solution – I think the solution is twofold. I do think on one hand, yeah, we do need to go out and we need to support, uh, you know, more lesser-known, I guess, uh, black films, filmmakers, producers. Because truthfully, there, I feel like there are more than enough of us out there who get rejected by Hollywood, but these films are still getting made and produced on an indie level. So we need right. to go out and support them. That's 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 on yeah. one hand. On the, on, on the other hand, fact, I feel like we need to fact, support. I just wanted to I just wanted to mention one indie movie that I know of that's coming up that needs support in particular. It's a movie by Tanana Reeves Do called Danger Word. It's a it's a um, post apocalyptic zombie film about a black uh, a black uh, child and her grandfather trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. They're trying to raise about twelve thousand dollars via um, you know via crowdfunding, and I don't know exactly where they are with it right now. 
but from the um, from the trailer that they were able to put together, it seems like it'll be a really good, you know, sort of short film. So if you have the funds to help them out, please help them out because um, we yeah. need more representations like this. So should definitely get a, you know, I was gonna say you should definitely get a link for that so we we can post that so more folks can um can can uh, find out more information about yeah. the film and where they can donate. Um, but the second point I was going to say is, uh, in addition to supporting independent black films and filmmakers and whatnot, we also need to support those who are in the belly of the beast of Hollywood and trying to make a change and whatnot from the inside. Like the woman, uh, her name escapes me, Shonda Rhimes, is that what it is? Yeah. The mm -hmm. one who wrote for Scandal and Grey's Anatomy? Like... Uh, a woman, a woman of color in her position, and also someone like uh, Issa Rae, you know, who did Awkward Black Girl. Right. Like we also need to support them as they maneuver in the belly of the beast, as, I, as, I'll, as I'll call it, and whatnot, because they're going to be providing, they're providing, you know, an alternative to what Hollywood is telling us, you know, black, uh, the black representation in Hollywood is and should be. Right, um, and and you brought up you brought up Issa Rae, and she actually has a skit called Ratchet Peace Theater, which is really really funny. And although she is in some sense, you know, making fun of the culture of you know the quote unquote ratchet and ghetto people, in some sense, um, in some sense, she has a really deep appreciation for it too. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's not done to demonize it. It's right. Yeah. It's, it, it's it's done it's done to sort of celebrate it and and have fun with it in a in right. a very interesting way. So um, I invite funny. you guys to check it out. It is it is pretty damn it is funny. Great, but <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting we're grinding, we're um, winding down. And there's a song that I want to play you all um, by Janelle Monet. I love the song. I think that the song actually kind of you know, hits on some of the themes that we talked about on this show um, concerning respectability politics and racket and, you know, sort of, you know, sex and, you know, um, the way the black women and their bodies are viewed. And I think that Janelle Monet hits on a lot of these themes in her song, and it, and it, also, is, uh, it also has a pretty catchy little beat. So, <laughs> so you, can, and, you, can, you can talk to it and learn something at the same time. Those are, that's yep. a very rare combination. <laughs> Just remember, so, booty don't lie. You will know. You understand lie. after. <laughs> you understand yeah, after. I mean, <laughs> you know, the booty don't lie. It, it, it's it's so true. But um, so guys, if you guys, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. If you enjoyed this show, please check out the rest of the shows. Um, from me and from the other Black Freethinkers, including the flagship show, Black Freethinkers with Tim, um, you know, uh, check those out. We have, uh, you know, a ridiculous number of shows at this point. I forget how many. Um, yeah. But check us out on Stitcher and on iTunes. And, um, of course, you can always hit the archives on Blog Talk Radio. Um, tomorrow's show is going to be on um, whether or not we are, or what we were going to be asking you and talking about our views on whether or not society is going forwards or backwards and why. And um, we've got some really great shows coming up next week. What are you talking about on your show next week, Marcus? Women. 
No, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, <laughs> on Wednesday, <laughs> on women, uh, <laughs> on Wednesday, me and uh, Father Teresa are going to be discussing uh, elite, elitism in the intellectual community, and we're also going to talk about scientism, and you know, bring up a couple, a couple other, um, couple other things that have been going on in the news and whatnot. So um, that that'll be pretty fun. Yeah, and um, and I'm we'll be posting um, other upcoming shows on the Black Freethinkers Wall on Facebook, and um, I hope oh. that you guys will check out my blog on on Rose to Reality. Um, yeah, and, like our, um, also, sorry, like our page. Me, me, uh, <laughs> I forgot to mention this. Uh, me and Father okay. Teresa just started our own Facebook uh, page for our show, The Breakbeat. So go like us on there. We'll be posting. You know, a lot of the articles that we'll be discussing, some dope, you know, some songs that we that we like, statuses, polls, discussion questions, all of that, all of that stuff. So just uh, look us up on Facebook. All right, that's all. Um, yeah, and um, and again, check out the Black Freethinkers uh, Wall page for um, you know for more information on the different shows that are coming up. Um, also, there'll be some great links posted. Um, throughout the week, I'll post some of the um, links that I use to do research for this show. Um, read uh, Sakibu Hutchinson's um, blog over at Black Femlens or at Black Skeptics at Free Thought Blog on uh, shucking, uh, on, sorry, Sleeping Toms and um, Sucking Toms. And uh, with that, guys, I'm
Liga 